Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. It's great to be with you today, church, and if you have your Bibles, would you take them and turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up actually only a couple of chapters, maybe a page and a half from where we left off last week in John chapter 20 as we continue a series called Unexpected. This has been a fun series for me, looking at the unexpected aspects of who Jesus is, and there's, you could literally go on and on and on. Last week we looked at the unexpected promises from the empty tomb. Today we want to take a look at some promises that you may not have expected. It was certainly unexpected to the early church. And then next week we're going to take a look, I think we're going to finish it up, as we take a look at the return of Christ, some things to expect on the road to the unexpected, and I'm looking forward to being able to, to share that with you next week as well. In Acts chapter 1, Luke is putting together a, uh, a letter, a, a historical document for a friend of his called Theopolis who ends up, goes to the entire church. And as you get into Acts chapter 1, a lot has transpired over the previous 43 days. 43 days earlier, Jesus had celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He had initiated what we call the Lord's Supper. It was in that time before that meal where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Judas went out, began to work together and put together the plan to betray Christ, where he ultimately led to Jesus' arrest. The disciples had abandoned him and had denied him, Peter, three times. By this time, 42 days ago, Jesus had been tried unfairly. He had been crucified, been laid in a grave. And 40 days earlier, there was an empty tomb. Jesus began to appear, Mary Magdalene, to the disciples. And over the previous 40 days leading up to Acts chapter 1, Jesus interacted with at least 500 of his followers and disciples. Sometimes it was one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes it was, it was in group settings. In fact, Scripture even indicates in 1 Corinthians that, uh, chapter 15 that Jesus went after his brother uh, to uh, kind of have a, a kind of his own family so that they would know him as well. And we see that all of his family become followers throughout the New Testament church, and so they had an encounter with the resurrected Savior. And now we come up to uh, just prior to Acts chapter 1, we see that Luke is describing the events of Jesus' ascension. And here's what he says. He says, In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, 
While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And while they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Now we'll stop there for this morning, but it's interesting in this little passage, there are all kinds of unexpected things that are taking place. Uh, there's the unexpected statement from Jesus that says, it's not for you to know. <laughs> um, I think by this time, living in the reality of the resurrection, because they're kind of in a unique spot. They're living in the reality of the resurrection, so they're, they realize that death has no hold on them. Paul says that. He says, because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we'll be raised with him, and so we will be with him forever. And so there's a, there's a sense of hope. There's a sense of confidence, and yet they're not yet living in the reality of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so there's kind of this little land in between that's taking place. And I think by this time they're thinking, okay, Jesus has risen from the dead, Things must be culminating right now. Certainly the Lord will start letting us in. And <clears throat> none of us like hearing the Lord say, it's not for you to know. I did a whole message on this, I think, four or five years ago. It's, it's that it just isn't always time for you to know. And we want to know. We think, hey, you've given us this much info. Why don't we have more info? And sometimes the Lord says, it's not for you to know, simply because knowing we couldn't handle it, or by knowing it really diminishes our, our call to walk by faith and trust. But sometimes the Lord says, it's just not for you to know. And then sometimes the Lord says, I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff. Uh, what is it? Deuteronomy 31, 31 says, for the secret things belong to God, but the things that he has chosen to reveal to us are ours and for all generations. So he says, I've given you what you need to know for the day. Another unexpected event that takes place in this first chapter is the unexpected ascension. I don't think anybody expected Jesus to go up into heaven the way that he went up into heaven. And I find one of the funniest questions in all of Scripture are what the two men dressed in white, which I assume are angels, when they say, men of Galilee, why are you looking up into the sky? I'm thinking, where else would you be looking? I mean, if somebody just all of a sudden kind of flows, okay, it's not going to be me, but Tim, Pastor Tim, I don't want to presume to be Jesus, but imagine Pastor Tim is up here sometime, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a service, Pastor Tim just goes, whoop. I'm going to tell you, I would be looking at the sky. So I'm thinking, where else would you be looking? But his ascension is pretty unexpected. Um, his return is going to be unexpected. Even though there's the certainty of his return, the when of his return is kind of unexpected. In fact, Jesus said it's going to be like a thief in the night. Uh, two will be together, one will be gone 
And so there's going to be an unexpected nature to the return of Christ. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But what I love are kind of the unexpected promises that Jesus just throws out in these last couple of, of, of comments that he makes. And the first, and it really, here's, here's, here's what I love about it. We're not living in exactly the same days, but they're living in the reality of the resurrection, but they still haven't received the promise. So they're kind of living in the land in between. Well, we're living in the reality of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit, but we haven't yet received the promise, which is heaven. We're living in the land in between too. And when you live in the land in between, it can be kind of a scary place because there's a lot of uncertainty. And so Jesus throws out these promises that become incredibly foundational promises for fearless living in the land in between. And the first promise that Jesus makes you is you will have my power. Can you say power with me? Power. You're going to have my power. And what he talks about is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He, he says this in verse 8. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Lord has established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, we, he's talking about specifically Acts chapter 2, and we could go to Acts chapter 2 and dissect that passage. It is the day of Pentecost. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers. For those of you who are a little bit newer to Scripture, up until this time, the Holy Spirit worked in people's lives, but he only came upon them and then would withdraw. He would come, he would anoint, and he would withdraw. But with the coming of the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon believers and took up residence or indwelt them and poured himself out. And that was a transitional, transformational day in the life. In fact, I would tell you, it is the birth of the church. Yes, Jesus' death and resurrection was vital and it is the claim of the church, but it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is the birth of the church. And we see now that when we come to the Lord, the Spirit of God not only enables us to come to the Lord, but He takes up residence within us. Paul says it this way. He says, do you not know that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so the, the Lord abides within us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we could talk about the day of Pentecost. We could talk about the baptism of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, dwelling, the indwelling of the Spirit, uh, being led by the Spirit, being birthed by the Spirit. But what I want to talk to you are about some of the areas that the Holy Spirit works in our lives that may not be as flashy, but they are still powerful. Now, because I'm a teacher as well as a preacher, it drives me crazy to leave things half said. So in your note sheet, I put 10 ways that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. And by the way, I could have put another 10 easily because he is the minister, he ministers and ministers and ministers his grace. And you can look at those at your leisure, they're already filled in. But I want to share with you five ways that the Holy Spirit empowers a believer that you may not have thought about as being a powerful way of working. And the first way is he says, I will give you courage under fire. 
Now this takes place in Acts chapter 4. We see the evidence of this. Peter, John, filled with the Holy Spirit, have ministered through the Holy Spirit. We've already seen the day of Pentecost. They have already stood and the Sanhedrin begin to come against them and tell them that they're no longer supposed to preach or to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. They're no longer supposed to teach that Jesus was risen from the dead. They basically said you're no longer allowed to testify to what you know as to be true. And Peter and John essentially look at them and say, we're going to do what God has called us to do. They stood firm in the face of this. Now, understand how powerful this is. Because only a couple months earlier, Peter denied Christ three times. Even John ran when Jesus was, was uh, arrested. All the disciples ran. All of the disciples, including John, were behind closed doors on the day of Easter for fear of the Jews. Fear was a propensity within their life of uncertainty. That changed with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, now they exhibit courage in their life. And notice what it says in, John, or in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I find it so telling. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now you may not think that facing a scary situation or facing persecution or facing attacks, and maybe it's not even as blatant as that. Maybe it's a scary diagnosis. Maybe it's, a, it's an uncertain time in your life. But it's interesting that when the Spirit of God gives you courage to face uncertain days, it doesn't seem very flashy, does it? But it is powerful. And people will take note that you've been with Jesus. Another way that the Holy Spirit ministers and promises to minister is He'll give you strength to overcome temptation in your life. Now, does every believer always overcome every temptation? Not likely. But notice what he does say. This was such an encouragement to me as a new believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, what you're facing is not new. Okay? Uh, sometimes the enemy wants to make us feel like we're the only person who's ever felt the temptation that we have. There is no temptation that is new under the sun. You, this is common to other people as well. And there is something about the commonality that encourages us. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, you will, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So through the power of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believers, you have every resource necessary to stand up under temptation. Again, do we always? Not likely. But it isn't because the provision hasn't been made or that the power isn't big enough. Sometimes we don't avail ourselves to that. But you might not think that standing against temptation in areas of weakness, you may not think that that's very flashy, and it's not. But it is powerful. And other people will take note that you've been with Jesus. 
Another way that the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, it's not quite as flashy. He gives you peace when you're going through a storm. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. He talks about praying and giving our anxiety and our worry to the Lord. And then he says this, and the peace that passes all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus. And likely you have either you have either witnessed it or you have had it happen in your own life where you went through a crazy time, a lost time, a, a, a floundering time, a weak time. You went through a time in your life when you were going through such hard, hardship and yet somehow in the midst of all of that, you had a peace. I can't tell you how many times I've had individuals that have, have testified to that in my life where they have gone through challenge, they've gone through loss, they've gone through unimaginable circumstances and people begin just to pray and to pray and to pray for them and they will oftentimes testify to me, Pastor, you know when they talk about having peace in the midst of a storm, I don't know how to explain it but I've had such a peace even though I'm hurting so bad. And that's not flashy. Right? That's not flashing. That's not the stuff. That's not the, that's not the gift of teaching or exhortation or the gift of healing or the gift of intercession or faith or whatever it is, the gift that you're thinking about. It may not be that. It may not be the divine healing, but it is powerful. And people see your peace given of the Spirit of God in times of struggle and they take note that you've been with Jesus. Are you starting to get a theme? Number four, the Holy Spirit is able to give you the ability to stand up and to abide under a heavy load. I used a very specific phrase because the word abide under a heavy load is the definition of the word endurance in the Greek. The word to endure, the word to stand up, it means to be able to find rest, to be able to dwell even though there's a heaviness that's upon you. Jesus said this in what, John chapter 15, I think it was, abide in me and I'll abide in you, right? Abide means to take up residence in, and sometimes we go through life, and it is not for a moment, it is for a season, and for an entire season, there is this heaviness that's on us, and how do we endure under something like that? It is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it isn't flashy, but it is powerful. And people take note that you've been with Jesus. And number five, the fifth way, it, again, we literally could, I, there are 30 ways we could talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But let me give you the fifth one, is that the Holy Spirit is able to give you authority over the strongholds in your life. Because strongholds in your life, the enemy wants to use those to keep you captive, to dominate you. And Paul says, even though we live in the world, we don't do war as the world does war. We have weapons that are, uh, we have, uh, we, on the contrary, our weapons have the divine power to demolish strongholds. They're the areas of our life that the enemy wants to weaken us in, that he wants to control us in, that he wants to convince us will never have victory over and he is able to take those captive and it may not be flashy but it is powerful and believe me people will notice that you've been with Jesus it is not always the day of Pentecost it is the day-by-day -day empowerment of the Holy Spirit that ministers to your life and ministers into the life of others that lets them know that you've been with Jesus.
I promise you. Living in the land in between, somewhere between hope and promise, you'll have my power. Number two, I promise the other ones aren't this long. You'll have my presence. And he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father, the promised Holy Spirit. And you might be saying to yourself, you literally just preached 12 minutes on that. But it's different. Power and presence are not the same thing. Power is what he does in and through you and for you, but presence is his simply being with you. And there is something about knowing that you're not alone. I'm going to say something that people laugh every time I say it. Wesley and I were talking about the Enneagram and we were talking about personality and temperance tests and all those things. And I, I don't know who exactly it was, but I, I'm a, I, am, um, I, I am an extrovert when I have to be, but I am an introvert by nature. I, I am perfectly fine being by myself. And I hate, hate. In the Greek, the word is hate breaking into new groups i do not like to go to conferences i don't like unless i'm going with somebody else if i'm by myself i hate going to them i am not i i feel like i am in intruding when i break into new groups i I just don't i don't want to presume i have the hardest time i become i guess if if i could be a wallflower kind of a big flower but anyway I I, I feel like I'm a a wallflower in that I watch what happens but I don't ever I have a hard time with that it's hard for me now once I know you I don't shut up okay you guys who know me it's like I don't know (laughs) that's why everybody thinks but it's it's really hard for me but if I'm with someone it changes everything Steve you go with me I'm good Okay, uh, what do they call it, wingman or whatever you call that? You're my sidekick, not more like your sidekick. But anyway, we're, we're just kind of beside each other. But there's something about doing it together. It gives me, I don't know, it just gives me an ability. And, and it's, kind of, it's kind of how I'm geared. I, I have somebody I already know. And, and it's interesting what Jesus says right after he teaches about heaven, his father's house. I want you to see what it says in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, then you'll, you'll obey my, what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That word, it's the word paraclete. Somebody texted me and they said, did you say parakeet? And I said, no, not parakeet. It's not the one who talks back at you. Uh, it is the one who walks with you. Para means alongside of. Cleat means help or comfort. That's why sometimes this is translated the comforter. That the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you, guides you, comforts you. And look what he says. He will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And I love this next phrase, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. 
I suppose technically an orphan is one who has lost their parents. When I see that passage, what I, what I think of is it's the one who doesn't have anybody. And Jesus says you will never be without somebody because I will not just be with you, I will be in you. And there's an old hymn that says, no, never alone, alone, no, never alone. He promised he'd never leave me, never leave me alone. And can I make a promise on behalf of the Lord, which he already promised? He said, I will never leave you alone, period. Whether you're facing cancer treatment or you're facing COVID or you're in the hospital or you're facing a divorce or you're facing kind of the, the, what's left over after a relationship is severed or you're going through an uncertainty in life, you may feel like you're alone with people, but you'll know I'll never leave you alone. I promise you my presence. And that is different than power but it's the flip side of the same coin. You'll have my power in uncertain times. You'll have my presence in uncertain times. And oh, by the way, he says, and you'll always be provided in uncertain times. You'll say, well, how do you know provision? It's because the entire book of Acts is a declaration of God's provision of bringing what you need when you need it at the right time. It's like the Holy Spirit is simply the promise of daily manna in our life. In the Old Testament, manna was given for 40 days every day as an evidence that the Lord was with the Israelites. Every day he would show up and he would provide this manna. Now we can get into the details on Sabbath day. They, he didn't, so he had to store up twice as much the day before. But it was a daily evidence that God was with them and that God loved them and that God would provide for them and show up every day. Well, Jesus says, I want you to know that as a believer, you may not have this kind of bread, but you'll have the bread of heaven every day in your life. And I will give you what you need when you need it. And so in Acts chapter 4, through the provision of the Lord, they heal a man at the, at the uh, temple gate called Beautiful. In Acts chapter 4, they all need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit because they just had the tar beat out of them, and so he fills them again. Acts chapter 7, uh, uh, Stephen is being martyred for his faith, and the grace of God meets him in those final moments to even be able to show forgiveness, dignity, and to be able to have grace in the closing moments of his life. Acts chapter 9, God shows up in Paul's life and rescues him on the Damascus Road. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison and there's a miraculous opening of the prison doors for Peter to escape. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're in prison for their faith and the Holy Spirit does a work where they shake the jail and there's a conversion that takes place within that jail. Whether it be through shipwreck, whether it be through longing, whether it be through desperation, whether it be through lack of field, all throughout the book of Acts, God shows up every single time and provides what is necessary at the time they most need it. In fact, I wrote it this way. <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm going to give you the resources, the wisdom, the family, the friends, the people, the power, the enabling, and sometimes even the supernatural ability necessary when you need it to navigate what you walk through, whatever you face. And Jesus says, I promise you 
my power. I promise you my presence. I promise you my provision. The last one is so encouraging to me. I hope it is to you. I promise that I'm going to fulfill my purpose in your life. But you will receive power through the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I promise. It's as if Jesus is saying, I have a purpose and a plan for your life, and I know how to bring about the purpose and the plan that I have for your life. I promise. Now certainly we need to step into his purpose and plan. We need to engage it. Certainly we can resist it. But let me say in no uncertain terms, God is sovereign and God is going, he's going to fulfill in your life what he wants to fulfill in your life. So much so that Stephen could not have been martyred until his final testimony had been given. God fulfilled the testimony in Stephen's life and then he departed. All the other disciples were all being knocked off side by side. They tried to kill John. God wasn't done with him yet. They threw boiling oil on him. He survived well into what we think 80, 90, where he would have been at an advanced age and he wrote the final testimony, the book of Revelation. And then the Lord took him home. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says that it wasn't until his final testimony had been given that the prophet was given over to the enemy. And I, I know people aren't real excited about this, but I get incredibly blessed by this is that the Lord is going to fulfill in my life the testimony and the witness that he has for my life and I'm not going before that time that's why when someone loses a loved one and they say my life is over I'm done I, 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 I with assurance say but God still has a plan and a purpose for your life so much so that as you know we Tammy and I since we started the project 613 we've been praying at night at 613, which by the way is getting hard as light as it is. We're thinking of moving to 2 Chronicles 714. <laughs> In June, we're thinking about Daniel 926. We're, we're thinking. And the evening times of prayer have become intercessory on our, we, 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 we pray together and it tends to be intercessory for you for the needs that we're aware of in the body. We pray for our family. Uh, we'll pray for our staff a lot by name, their families, and, and uh, you know, staff families go through stuff, and so we pray for them by name. But for our, something God put on my heart um, was to begin praying for our grandchildren. Uh, Jackson and Porter Jackson's two years and four months or six months, and Porter's like four months. And I began to pray, Lord, I, I don't know what the plan and purpose is for their lives, but help them to step into the plan and the purpose and the calling that you have for them. 
And that's become every time I pray for them, I just simply pray, Lord, help them to step into the plan and the purpose that you have for their life. So much so that I began to pray that for our older children. I I pray that for Wesley. He's in college. He's trying to figure out certain things, and and he's trying to figure out what's what's his life career going to be. And Lord, I I don't really care what it is, but just help him to step into the planning of the purpose and the plan that you have for his life. And Brittany, uh, Brittany in a transitionary time, just Lord, help her to step into the plan and the purpose that you have for her life. And, And Calvin, Calvin's in ministry, and he's, but I don't know what you have for his future. And Kyla, and Lord, help them to step into the plan and the purpose. I've even began to pray that for Tammy. Lord, I don't know what it is that you, I'm hoping I'm involved, but I mean, you know, I I don't know what it is. And what is the calling, the purpose, and the plan that you have for their lives? And this week as I was preparing this message, I read a verse of scripture, two of them, that blew me away. Couldn't get away from them. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 14. Here's what it says. And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And ever since Jackson has been with us in this world, he's got on his side right about here a little birthmark. I see it all the time because he runs around with his shirt off all the time, you know. It's not real bold, it's kind of faint, but it's there, it's a birthmark, and it It is a distinguishing characteristic in his life. It's just something that identifies who he is. And when you came to faith, having heard and believing, you were included in Christ, and get this, every single one of you received a birthmark. The Holy Spirit. He is the seal the deposit guarantee they are mine and I'm going to one day take them home. They're marked. And you've been marked. And I've been marked. And we have the same birthmark. He says, I promise. My power, my presence, my provision, and I will fulfill my purpose. And I promise someday I'm taking you home. So Father, I pray for the body of Christ today because I know some feel alone and some feel lonely. And, And they're two different things at times because sometimes you can be with a lot of people and feel lonely and sometimes you just don't feel like anybody quite understands what you're walking through and some are walking through some uncertainty and some some are weary 
Because, Lord, they've been for a long time carrying a heavy burden, and they're tired, and some have been praying for a relationship, and some have been praying for a child or a parent or a loved one or a sibling or a grandparent or a a co-worker. But, Lord, I thank you that you're the God of promise. And unlike so many others who don't fulfill their promises, you always always fulfill your promises and there is something powerful about when you keep your promise and nobody else does so fulfill your great promises I pray in this land in between we love you Father in Jesus name Amen Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living